From KHOL, this is Jackson Unpacked. Our podcast on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and around the Mountain West. I'm news director, Tyler Pratt. Coming up on today's show, recent legislation targeting transgender youth in Wyoming has some local residents feeling unwelcome in the state. I want to be able to stay here. I want everyone who's part of the LGBTQIA plus community to feel supported. And if you're a shed antler hunter, you may be used to this spring scenario. When May 1st rolls around, there's a flood of people that come to town, usually two to 300 cars with probably a thousand plus people going up Refuge Road alone. But that's about to change. These stories and more coming up on Jackson Unpacked. Local volunteers recently spread out across the Jackson region to count moose. This helps Wyoming's Game and Fish Department get a more accurate picture of moose numbers in the area and monitor how healthy the population is. K-12's Hannah Mersbach has more. Len Carlman and Lori Bay cross-country ski through the cottonwoods south of Wilson near the Snake River. They just spotted one moose eating the shrubs about 100 yards away. Moose on the move, um, walking slowly, uh, going from one patch of willows or uh, small cottonwoods to another. Let's go see what's going on. Carlman and Bay are two of over a hundred volunteers spread out throughout the county. They're participating in the Jackson Hole Wildlife Foundation's annual Moose Day. The Game and Fish Department counts moose every year from a helicopter, but these volunteers travel on cross-country skis and snowshoes to find moose the agency can't see. Carlman and Bay edge closer to the moose, but they keep their distance. Winter is a period of slow starvation for moose. They're just losing calories and body fat, and they don't need any more hassle than they already get from the hardships of winter. So we'll, we'll get a little closer, but we'll know that there's, there'll be a time when that's enough. Last year, volunteers and Game and Fish found about 300 moose. This is about 70% smaller than the herd size just a few decades ago. Wildlife biologist Ali Cordemanche says it's due to several factors, habitat loss, an expansion of predators, vehicle collisions, and climate change. In the winter, moose can become stressed at temperatures above about 20 degrees Fahrenheit. Moose really evolved in kind of those northern latitudes and they don't do very well in warm temperatures. Population counts help the department make decisions about things like hunting tags and wildlife crossings. And knowing where moose are helps inform their comments on proposed developments. The volunteers are also looking for signs of disease, like hair loss or missing tips of the ears, which have been observed in the local herd. But back south of Wilson, Lori Bay reports her observations on the nearby moose, which has a thick fur coat. They don't always look so good in the winter. She looks good, which is great. She says it's the people and the impact of the work that brings her out to Moose Day again and again. I mean, this is a simple thing in a simple place that matters. You see the results of your work, and that's a rare thing. 
I think, anymore. Hannah Mersbach, KHL News. Volunteers and Game and Fish officials counted about 300 moose this year, which is on par with numbers in recent years. Well, Wyoming's 2023 legislative session has wrapped. About 500 bills were proposed, but only a fraction made it through. To unpack some of the legislation that passed and how it may impact Teton County residents, I sit down with Mike Koshmurl, Wildfile's natural resource reporter who covered the state capitol this year. We began the conversation talking about how he's feeling after reporting on lawmakers hashing out issues for about eight weeks. I uh, am feeling pretty worn down. Uh, I was certainly ready to leave Cheyenne. Uh, I did have a break in the middle of the session, but there's a big difference between a budget session, which happens every other year, and a general session. One is four weeks, one is eight weeks, and eight weeks is a lot longer than in four weeks, it turns out. And I felt that in my bones. Mike, go ahead and talk to us about what passed this session that might directly affect residents here in Teton County. I'm going to talk about a couple clusters of bills. So one is property tax reform. Uh, There were, believe it or not, a couple dozen uh, bills introduced or at least drafted up uh, that concern property taxes in one way or another. There were three of them that ended up going all the way through the legislative process. Two of them I'll flag here. And I would like to say uh, to listeners that the Jackson Hole Losing Guide has a front page story about this. So I highly encourage you to, to read that and you'll kind of get the nitty gritty details. Uh, but uh, there was one bill, House Bill 99, and the essence of that is they tweaked around uh, some of the limits for how much money you can make to be eligible for a property tax refund program. The skinny in Teton County is that income limit goes from $77,000 to $128,000. So it's a pretty big difference that will affect quite a few residents. There was another bill or a resolution passed that basically calls for a constitutional amendment. Uh, It will allow voters to decide that constitutional amendment. Um, uh, And the effect would be that voters in the 2024 general election will have uh, the opportunity to decide whether or not residential property should be taxed at a different rate than other types of property. That just set that in motion. It's going to be up to the residents of the state whether or not they want to see that happen. The other uh, group of bills that I was hoping to cover concerned shed hunting. Now, probably only a subset of you all listening are active shed hunters, but I'm sure anyone who's lived in Jackson for a while knows well, when May 1st rolls around, there's a flood of people that come to town, usually two to 300 cars with probably a thousand plus people going up Refuge Road alone. They are here for the first day where you can legally shed antler hunt on the National Forest property surrounding the National Elk Refuge. So there were two bills that passed the legislature that will change that quite a lot. One gives residents of Wyoming a one-week head start over non-residents. And I'll just say anecdotally, I've partaken in that mad dash up Refuge Row before. It's probably 70 or 80% uh, non-residents. So those folks come May 2024, will have to wait until May 8th. And there might not be a lot of antlers left, so they might not come at all. 
But uh, all the better if you're a Wyoming resident who likes to go and find antlers that fall off elk and deer and moose. The second bill, it will require non-residents who are being kind of discriminated against here, uh, it will require them to procure a conservation stamp uh, in order to legally shed hunt, which will cost them $21.50. So there were two big national hot button issues that hit the Wyoming legislature this session that had to do with abortion access and a transport bill affecting high school girls. Now, Mike, you cover mostly natural resources, but tell me, while you were at the Capitol, what was sort of the temperature and the energy there while these issues were being discussed? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, emotions uh, run high. I was sitting up in the gallery waiting for another bill to be heard when the transgender women's sports bill uh, came up on the Senate. And yeah, I heard Wendy Schuler, the the sponsor and pusher of that bill, speaking you know very strongly in support of it. And then senators that were opposed came back equally impassioned. On the abortion issues, same story. You know, even though I wasn't necessarily writing about it, I was. Uh, uh, present when when that came up, I believe in both chambers, and emotions ran high as that bill uh, made it through the legislature. So, what were some of the items that didn't make it through? Yeah, one one uh, legislative proposal that that I want to bring up. Uh, there is actually no bill this session, but it has been a repeated. It's been brought up repeatedly in the past, and that's a real estate transfer tax. This has been pushed by Teton County representatives and senators because it's been pitched as, you know, not a silver bullet, but certainly uh, something that could really help generate money in Jackson Hole for affordable housing. The idea is basically that you're able to tax real estate transactions and the way that it's been structured, counties could opt into it. And there could be limits. So like, say, the first million dollars of a sale would not be subject to tax. Anything over that would then be taxed at the rate that the county agrees to. Again, that was not brought up this legislature. It was brought up in the budget session in 2022 and in past legislative sessions. I certainly expect that will come back up. One other uh, bill that I'd like to flag concerned tribal members' right to hunt and fish off of reservations. There was a landmark U.S. Supreme Court decision in 2019, Herrera uh, versus Wyoming. And the outcome of that is basically that tribes that have language in their treaties guaranteeing them the right to hunt and fish off of their reservations, you know, 150 years ago, that they retain those rights. And so the state is trying to sort that out with the tribes. There was a bill that I think people around the country were watching that uh, had the support of one tribe here, the Eastern Shoshone, but that tribe pulled its support kind of partway through the legislative session and the bill ultimately ended up failing. That will leave probably the resolution to off-reservation tribal hunting. It'll end up just being solved more in the courtroom than through kind of agreements and legislation. Okay. So in all your time at the Capitol, were there any memorable moments that that jump out? Um, anything unexpected that you witnessed? You know, like I, I was thinking about that. There, there weren't any like reporting experience, I would say. I'd say my for me personally, the most memorable moments were uh, the camaraderie around being a journalist down there. There's a, a group of about 
four or five print journalists and, you know, you get to know everyone really well. And there's so much legislation moving that you really have to almost coordinate who's covering what to try to make sure that some stuff just doesn't miss any immediate attention whatsoever. And so just the bond that I developed with the other journalists down there is a memory that I will remember for the rest of my life. That's Mike Koshmerl, Wild Files, natural resources reporter who covered this year's legislative session at the state capitol. As he and I discussed earlier, several emotional nationwide conversations have been front and center in Cheyenne lately, specifically concerning LGBTQ plus individuals. The Wyoming legislature passed a bill banning trans girls and women from competing in school sports. And while several other pieces of legislation targeting transgender youth failed to move forward this session, the debate about trans rights is having a negative impact on communities statewide and in Teton County. Maeve Conran is the managing editor of the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Network, and she recently spoke with KHOL's Hannah Mersbach about her coverage of the community's response in Jackson. Well, what's often lost in the mix when these bills are being discussed are the folks who are actually really directly impacted by this. And you have been out there speaking to some of these young people. And I want to talk particularly about a young transgender girl that you've been talking to and her mom as well. Sky, who's 12, is, you know, really upset about some of these laws. Tell us about Sky, And then we'll also hear what Sky's mom has just said in reaction to the latest update about the sports bill. So I met Sky. She was one of the youth organizers of this rally that took place last month to oppose these bills. You know, she her, her family was considering having to leave the state because of these bills because Sky wouldn't be able to get the kind of gender affirming care um, that she needed. They were going to move to Boulder, Colorado. Um, they don't think they're going to have to do that anymore. But here's what I heard from Sky at the rally. I don't want to have to leave the state or or have to stop gender affirming care or anything like that. That's not that's not what I want. I want I want to be able to stay here. I want everyone who's part of the LGBTQIA plus community to feel supported in this community. I mean, I think what Sky was saying there about not wanting to have to leave the state, that has been a reality for many families in conservative states. And what's interesting is They're talking about potentially it doesn't look like it's going to happen now having to move to a state that borders Wyoming. So you've got a state like Colorado and a community like Boulder that couldn't be more at odds with what's happening at a state level in Wyoming. And so what we're seeing is this patchwork quilt really around the country where states are coming up with these different laws and it's really leaving families in precarious positions of potentially having having to leave their family talk a little bit about what you've heard from sky's mom because i know you spoke to sky's mom recently um in reaction to the possible advancement of the sports bill yeah today i talked to sky's mom jen she's actually a social worker and she works with other trans youth so this if these bills criminalizing it would have criminalized providers of gender affirming care and she qualifies as that so she wouldn't have even been able to do her job um in wyoming so that's another reason they were considering moving um you know coming out of this she was really really she was relieved 
that they were able to at least these bills about gender affirming care didn't go through. I think she was pretty surprised. We all kind of assumed that these bills were going to go through. But I think just the level of pushback against them and then also some more like logistical things. I think the lawmakers were concerned about like how insurance companies would respond to these kinds of bills. And, you know, that's a big reason they didn't go through. Um, But yeah, she she was really, really relieved, but also pretty wary. Um, You know, this tone has been set in Wyoming, and she acknowledged that this is probably not the last we're going to see of these bills um, in the coming years. Conservative lawmakers will probably try to keep bringing them back. And, you know, she wondered if it might be safer for her kid to eventually move somewhere else. I mean, I'm pleased, but I guess it comes with a a burden of knowing that this is, you know, probably not going away. Would my family be safer if we lived in a state that was less Republican? Would that really, would that make a difference? Would would my kid be safer there? So it sounds like there's genuine concern that this is just, this is just the beginning of what could be numerous attempts to introduce such legislation. Yeah, yeah, I think you're, I think you're exactly right with that. I think this is a brief, you know, moment of joy for the people who are opposing these bills here. But I think they're gearing up for the next battle as well. That was KHOL reporter Hannah Mersbach discussing bills in front of the Wyoming legislature this year targeting transgender youth. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Jackson Unpacked from KHOL. I'm Tyler Pratt. On this show, we present reporting and interviews on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and around the Mountain West. New episodes of Jackson Unpacked drop every other Friday wherever you get your podcasts. Now we move from state politics to the national level. The political landscape in D.C. looks a little different this year. Republicans took back the House of Representatives, and Wyoming sent someone new to the chamber. Wyoming Public Radio's Will Walkie checks in on the Cowboy State's congressional delegation and what their priorities are in the coming months. Thank you for coming in. Uh, We're going to go ahead and kick this off. A few dozen people filed into the Albany County Library on a blustery February night for a town hall with Congresswoman Harriet Hegeman. She's Wyoming's freshest face in D.C., and says it's been a whirlwind so far. It doesn't seem like it's been five weeks. It seems like it's been five years. Um, when I come back here a year from now, I'm, I, I, you're not going to recognize me, probably. She's not kidding when she says she'll be back. Hegeman has vowed to visit every county in Wyoming at least once a year. Just in 2023, she's also been in Lander, Casper, Jackson, and other towns. Meeting people face-to-face is something Hegeman says she prioritized during her campaign. What I'm finding is that, that people have felt, felt a bit disenfranchised, that they have not been able to have access to our representative. And if there's any place that we should have access to our representative, it's in the state of Wyoming. That message clearly worked in Hegeman's defeat of political powerhouse Liz Cheney, who recently took a job at the University of Virginia. And now that there's new blood in Wyoming's only seat, people have a lot of questions. California's eyeing the Colorado River agreements like a hungry dog after a bone. 
Is there anything the federal government can do? I'd like to know your opinion about the World Economic Forum. I find that today in America, we don't really have a common kind of experience to unite us. I beg you to please support Social Security and Medicaid. It means the world to me, and it means my brother's life. Hegeman is one of 75 freshman House members. She says she got her two top choices for committees, Judiciary and Natural Resources. And she sits on a subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government. One of the biggest fights in Washington this year will be over the nation's budget and debt ceiling. Her position on that is clear. I am going to be very blunt about one thing, and that is that the federal government is broke. She says cuts to popular and expensive programs like Social Security and Medicare should be off the table, but almost everything else deserves consideration. That's a similar position as Wyoming's senators, like Cynthia Lummis. She recently held a press conference. COVID was an anomaly. We should never continue to spend at the rate we did during COVID. Unlike the House, the Senate looks pretty similar to last year, with Democrats flipping one seat in the midterms. So, Lummis's priorities are like they were previously. She's working on addressing western drought and growing energy production on public lands. Plus, regulating cryptocurrency, which she says is especially important due to last year's collapse of a massive crypto exchange and hedge fund. The need for it uh, was assured uh, during last year's implosions of FTX and a number of other companies uh, that were not adhering to the same rigorous criteria for governance of non-cryptocurrency assets, traditional assets. She also chairs the Senate Western Caucus and sits on committees on housing, commerce, and the environment. Her other Cowboy State colleague, John Barrasso, is now likely the state's highest-profile politician. He ranks third among Senate Republicans and is ranking member on the Committee on Energy and Natural Resources. If you listen to him in the press, it's all about those two topics. Thank you, Mr. President. Mr. President, I come to the floor today to talk about the need for more American energy. Our nuclear ener uh, industry is ready to uh, transition away from Ura Russian uranium, my home state of Wyoming, vast uranium resources. Democrats have to choose between their green energy fairy tales and upholding basic human rights. Barrasso has also focused on finance and national security. For the next couple of years, Republicans have less power than Democrats in Washington and will try to flip seats in Congress and the presidency. Hegeman has already endorsed Donald Trump in the GOP primary, while the two senators declined to make a choice. Barrasso and Hegeman will also be up for re-election if they choose to run in 2024. They'll need to convince Wyomingites that they're still fighting for their state's values. For Wyoming Public Radio News, I'm Will Walkie. You're listening to Jackson Unpacked. Before we wrap up our show, we're going to head up into the mountains to hear firsthand what a day in the life of a local avalanche forecaster is like. This segment was produced by KHOL's Hannah Mersbach. Record snow levels in the area have made for seemingly endless powder days, a reinvigorated snowpack, and avalanches. Search and rescue officials say there have been a number of close calls this season, for skiers and snowboarders in the backcountry. Gabrielle Antonoli is a winter forecaster in Teton County. She works for the Bridger Teton Avalanche Center, which provides daily avalanche information to help keep mountain goers safe. She walked KHOL through a day in her life forecasting with a radio diary in early March. 
This is Gabrielle with the Bridger Teton Avalanche Center, and it is 4 a.m., and I'm tired. I'm sitting with two big mugs of tea in front of me, and I'm working on the big sheet, which is kind of the first product. We push out by, like, 540, um, and it's just all of the backcountry weather station data. So I work on that for about an hour uh, while I write up a weather forecast, and then I start working on the forecast for each zone. Antonoli brings years of experience studying avalanche conditions in the Mountain West and working with the American Avalanche Institute. She's also the region's sole female forecaster in a traditionally male-dominated field. So looking at weather station data right now is actually kind of confusing. Half our stations don't really work that well. So we rely a lot on what's happening at the resorts because they have better instrumentation and then I also check a bunch of webcams to double check what's happening and luckily a lot of those are lit (laughs) because it's so dark so early so I can kind of judge from what the station is saying and then look at some webcams and be like oh that seems about right so it's seven o'clock I just put the forecast out for all the zones emailed it out and now I'm getting all my things ready and I'm going to go to the west side of the Tetons um, out into the field and look at what the snow is doing over there. Antonoli says on this late winter day she expects to see moderate avalanche risks at all elevations in the Tetons. She writes in her avalanche forecast that bright sunshine could up the ante in steep or rocky terrain. She decides to ski out in a canyon in Teton Valley since she hasn't seen the snow over there in a while. She sets a skin track, meaning she's the first person to ski out there on the new snow, and goes out to dig a pit to investigate the snow layers. Uh, We're here at the top of Eddington Canyon on the west side of the Tetons, and I finished kind of looking at the structure of the snow, tracking a layer that was buried kind of mid-February. And, you know, I think a lot of people think that avalanche forecasters just go out and dig pits and then look at whether it propagates or not and leave (laughs) but really they're just a tool to look at trends over time and kind of try to pick up on patterns of weak layers Um, usually you just have to be pretty immersed in the snowpack and what's happening what weather changes are happening to it as well as like how that terrain specifically drives weather around it and patterns in the spatial variability of the snowfall antinoli also notes that an atmospheric river is headed this way. This brings a lot of water all at once, which can make conditions unstable. So now I'm back at the trailhead in the rig and I'll drive back to the office. And usually I take some time to process photos. Uh, I like to take a lot of photos of avalanches, snow textures, um, conditions, and I'll put in an observation to our website. I always sort of look at what I would have changed about my forecast generally um, because obviously you're creating a product in the morning and you kind of go outside and see if not only the weather forecast panned out because that has a large impact on the avalanche conditions subsequently, um, but also just like what you're seeing with stability, um, whether that's more unstable or less unstable. And today I think, you know, I would have wanted to lean towards lower hazard in the lower elevation of the Tetons, but there's a lot of uncertainty as to how warm it was going to get, especially as we get later into March. The sun moves higher in the sky. The impact from that solar radiation is 
going to be more and more intense and especially as we're getting these storms later into March and then it's going to heat up really quickly the day after um, it passes that can really have a large impact on the snowfall so yeah put in an observation look at more weather uh, and essentially get ready for bed and do it again tomorrow that was Gabrielle Antonoli walking us through a day in her life as a forecaster for the Bridger Teton Avalanche Center. More information about current snow conditions is available at BridgerTetonAvalancheCenter.org. I'm Hannah Mersbach, KHOL News. That's it today on Jackson Unpacked. Original music for the show is performed by the local band Strumbucket. I'm Tyler Pratt, and this is KHOL, Jackson Hole Community Radio.